We are in the final, the final installment today of Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is part seven. This is the last part of this series. Um, and, uh, and I'm thrilled about what I'm learning and how I'm growing from Paul's letter that I'm reading as if it's to me. And so um, I'm going to just dive into a portion of the very last part. I really am prayerful that this will be a wonderful sermon for you as you enter into the Thanksgiving holidays, um, because the topic of the sermon is contentment. So let's, let's dive in. Let's dive in. Uh, Philippians 4 verse 1 says this, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Do you know how much the Apostle Paul loves his church? He just, he just, he just, he's a, he's a good pastor and he says, I just love y'all. You're my crown and my joy. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. For I have learned to be content. Somebody say content. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. And my God shall supply all your need, all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Today, for just the next few moments, I'm going to speak on the secret of being content. The secret of being content. Let's bow our heads. Let's prepare our hearts for God's word. Lord, you're so good to us. We're so grateful to be in this place here in New City and Shaw and online. And we just pray that your word would permeate our hearts, transform us. We know your spirit is here. Let us fall in love with you. Let us be changed by you. Let us change the world by the power of your spirit within us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start by drawing... That should make you nervous. I'm going to start by drawing. I'm going, to, I'm going to start by drawing what I believe to be a universal problem that each and every one of us faces. This is a problem no matter where, where you come from, what background you come from. All of us face this problem. And, and, and here's how the problem looks. This line represents what we want. And I'm going to say slash need because sometimes, you know, wants and needs kind of merge together. That's what this line represents. This line represents what we have. Now you'll notice there's a gap between this line and this line. And the gap between what we have and what we want, I'm going to call this the gap of discontentment. With a very small c right there for discontentment. This is the gap of discontentment. The gap of discontentment is the space between what we have and what we want, right? And it might be different for each one of you, but all of us experience this gap. This is the amount of money I have. This is the amount of money I want. This is the car I have. This is the car I want. This is the relationship I have. This is the relationship I want. This is the body I have. This is the body I want. 
This is, this is the health status that I have. This is the health status I want. This is the degree I have. This is the degree I want. This is the career I have. This is the career I want. So there's a gap between what we have and what we want. All of us experience this gap. All of us know what it feels like to be like, man, there's something more that I want. I feel discontented because what I have is not matching what I want. And for us, we have two basic strategies to close the gap. That's, we, we, we just have two strategies. One is to get more of what we have to raise the have up to the level of want, right? If I get more and I want this, if I get this, then I'll be content. That's, that's one strategy we have. The other strategy we have is to lower our expectations to bring our wants down to the level of our haves, right? So if I just want less, then I'll be happy. Those are our two strategies that we have to close that gap. There's some problems with those strategies, however, you may have noticed. One problem is it's hard to get what you want. Sometimes it's hard to, to achieve what it is that you actually want. Okay, that's one problem. It's also hard to want less. Anybody with me this morning? Okay, I'll just want less, right? It's hard to do that. Another problem is sometimes we actually get what we want, but have you ever noticed that when we get what we want, we move our line up a little higher? Like, man, I got the thing that I wanted, but now I want something more. We have a dog. We have a sweet little French bulldog. His name's Cassius. And we, he used to, <laughs> um, he, he, we used to have like a little short leash for him. And he loves to go on walks. And we go out on, on a walk and we take him out on the walk. But the thing is, when you go with the short leash, he's like straining right at the end of the leash. He wants to go further than you're allowing him to go. So I said, well, you know, let's get him a longer leash. Let's get him one of those leashes that you can spool out with a little handle, right, with a little clicker. So we got that longer leash. So now I'm going to let him out 10 feet. Problem is, when he's out 10 feet, he still wants to go a little farther. You ever notice that? Okay, I'll let him out 15 feet. Now he wants to go further. You let him all the way out. He still wants, it doesn't matter how much you get, you still want more. Is anybody with me this morning? So we have this strategy to try to get more. Or sometimes we say, okay, let me just want less. Now here's the problem. Sometimes you lower your expectation, and then the thing that you have actually got worse. So you go, okay, I'm, I'm just going to drive this hoopty car. I'm, I'll be fine with it. It's just fine. I'm just going to be okay with this bad car that I have, right? And then the car breaks down. And so you lowered your expectation, and then what you had got even lower than what you expected. So the strategy that we have here doesn't always get us out of this gap of discontentment. The question is then, how do we get out of the gap of discontentment? Now, let me just say this. Sometimes a little discontentment can be a good thing because it can catalyze some change in you to go address something that needs to be addressed, okay? So, so, so don't think that I'm totally against discontentment. Sometimes it's a positive quality. But when we live in a state of chronic discontentment, when we live in a state of chronic dissatisfaction, then we are not living the life that God has called us to live. Paul said, I've learned to be content in every situation. Whether in plenty, whether in need, I, I, I'm content. Here's, here's how you can know if you're struggling with chronic dissatisfaction or chronic discontent in some area of your life. I'm going to give you some signs, signs and symptoms, okay? Let's see if you meet any of these. Number one, you never feel successful enough. Number two, you harm your health, finances, or relationships in an effort to obtain what you believe will make you happy, but it never does. Anybody ever been there? Number three, you experience burnout, fatigue, and a sense of spiritual or emotional emptiness. You just like, you keep striving, but it's not enough. Number four, you resent the success of others. 
Nobody even groaned on that one because you're like, I don't want to admit that's me. (laughs) But sometimes we look at somebody else on Instagram and we go, why is their life so much better than mine? What do they got that I don't have? Number five, you think of yourself as a victim in a world that's hopelessly unfair. This This is a picture of somebody who's struggling with discontent. Number seven, number six, you habitually complain. It's just like, man, it's just drain. You just drip, drip, drip because you're just not happy. Number seven, you've become cynical about your future or resentful about your past. Anybody with me this morning? Anybody sitting next to anybody who's (laughs) struggling? Number eight, you often feel angry and you don't know why. You ever had that experience? Man, I'm just mad. Why are you mad? I don't know. Just mad. Just angry. Number nine, you live in a constant state of comparison. You're looking at you, and then you're looking at them, and you're just comparing. Number, number, that's number nine. Number ten, you have a hard time remembering the last time you experienced unbridled joy. Some of us find ourselves at times in chronic states of dissatisfaction and discontent because what we have does not match what we want. This is not the life that God wants for us. It's not, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. I want you to live in a state of peace and joy and comfort and strength and power and love. That's what I want for you. I want for you what the Apostle Paul had. I want to teach you how to be content. I want to teach you the secret. So how do we close the gap between what we have and what we want or need and close that gap of discontentment? As the Apostle Paul said, it's a secret. It's a secret. Now, it's an open secret, but I'm going to break it down for you because I've already told you the secret when I read the beginning of the verse at the beginning of the sermon, but now we're going to go down and explore it a little bit, okay? So let's start with verse 11, chapter 4. Apostle Paul says, I have learned, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Contentment is not a trait you have. It's a truth you learn. It's not something you're born with. Here's the proof. Two-year-olds. Anybody met a two-year-old? They're not content with what they have. Right? And they will let you know. They will just let you know. When my son Jameson, my first son, was two, I didn't understand how children worked. You know, I never had one before. When my, my, Jam- when my two-year-old, my son Jameson was two, I had him on my shoulders one day, and we're walking down the Del Mar Loop. It's a beautiful day. We're like, just, it's a gorgeous day. We're just walking down the loop, and he's on my shoulders, and it's just dad and son time, just having a good time, you know? And suddenly, like literally out of the blue, he just starts to scream and writhe and buck and froth at the mouth on my shoulders. And I'm like, what is going on? I thought he got stung by a hornet or something. I'm like, what in the world? So I get him down, and I'm trying to understand what's going on, J-Man. What's, what's going on, bud? What's going on? And he's like trying to get out the words. Maybe he was three. I don't know. I don't know when you learned to talk. But anyway, somewhere in there. And he, I finally got out of him what he was upset about. And you know what he was upset about? He was upset that while I was walking down the sidewalk with him on my shoulders, I stepped on one of the cracks on the sidewalk. And like he had been looking down and noticing that I'm not stepping on the cracks. And apparently at some point I stepped on the crack. So like now he's absolutely lost his mind because I stepped on a crack. What he wanted was don't step on cracks. I'm liking this. What he had was dad stepped on a crack. There was some discontent there. 
And I'm going to tell you this. Like, we had just planted the church, and he's having a full, full tilt meltdown, like demon-possessed level, total wipeout, right? And I don't know what to do because I don't know how to deal. I didn't know that this is what, this is normal. By the way, parents, that's normal when kids do this. So, so I'm, I'm trying to contain him on the loop. I finally get to my car. I'm trying to put him in the car, and then I try to buckle him up in his car seat. And if you've ever been around a two-year-old who's not happy, they will, they will bow their back <laughs> so strong that you, can't, you just can't. You just, I'm like, Wah! I couldn't get him. I literally, without hurting him, I couldn't get him, so I just shut the door. I was like, <sighs> by this time, I'm freaking out, okay? I shut the door. I lean against the car. I'm trying to, like, you know, bring myself to center. And... He's still in there like you can hear him. And some people come walking down the loop that had just visited our church. And they're like, oh, hi, pastor. And I was like, oh, hi. You know, and my face is all beaten red. And then they, they can see behind me that there's a, something crazy going on. And so they just moved on. I haven't really seen them around much after that. So anyway. Um, but the reality is, he hadn't learned contentment. He hadn't learned to be content in every situation. Here's the truth. Most of us adults have also not learned the art of contentment. We just learned the art of concealment. We basically say, mm, I'm just going to cover and mask my discontentment. And it's going to pop out in different kinds of ways. It's going to pop out in a little cynicism here, a little dig there, a little sarcasm there, a little anger there, a little, right? little frustration. It's just going to come out in different ways. Because we learned not to throw temper tantrums, but now we're popping it out in different ways, okay? So the Apostle Paul says, I need you to learn this. I want you to learn this. I want you to learn it because there's something to learn. Okay, how do we learn it, Apostle Paul? Take us through, take us through here. All right, here he says, verse 11, I have learned to be content, notice this, whatever the circumstance, whatever. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Point number two, contentment is not an external situation. It's an internal state. Okay? He says, look, plenty, want, when I got it, when I don't, when I all that, I'm still learning to be content. It's not an external situation. It's an internal state. Now, usually, we learn contentment in times of scarcity. Because it's when in times of scarcity that we go, I've got to rely on the Lord because I am so unhappy and I can't get where I'm going. So I've got to learn to rely on. A lot of times we start to learn contentment in times of scarcity. Sometimes, though, we learn it in times of plenty. If you, ever, if you have a chance this week, go read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. When Solomon says, I tried everything. Like, I built houses, I had maid servants, I had men servants, I had singers, I, I, I had everything, I had all the wealth that I could want. I was the richest manager, I did everything, I got everything. I had everything I wanted and everything I needed, but I was still discontent. He, you know what he said? It was like grasping the air. I can't get what I want even when I've got everything. I'm still discontent. I'm still unhappy when I've got everything. Because contentment is an internal state. It's not an external situation. Now, a lot of times we look back at the Apostle Paul and we go, well, but he was, you know, 
He was a scholar. He was like sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a highly educated guy. But, you know, so we have this picture of him and go, well, of course he was content because he was just like so great at everything. But if you look back at his life in real time, his own experience of it in real time, it wasn't like that. I, I, wanted, I wanted throughout this series to tell you how he planted the Philippian church. Do you want to hear it real quick, how he planted the church? It's an amazing story. You can find it in the book of Acts. He, he, he planted the, the Philippian church in a very funny way. He, he was in Turkey, and he had a vision of a guy in Macedonia, which is the area of Philippi. And in the vision, this guy in Macedonia was saying, hey, come, come help us, Paul. Come help us. So he woke up and he t- told Silas and his other guys, he's like, let's go. We're going to Philippi. We're going to go plant a church. So they go to Philippi to plant a church. There's no synagogue. There's no place to even start. And so on a, sa- on a Saturday, he went down to the river to see if anybody was praying or anybody was out there. There's a, there's a group, there's a small life group of women sitting by the river, right, including a fashion designer named Lydia. And so it's the truth. Just read it. It's in the book of Acts. So he goes and he meets this group of women. He goes, can I, can I join your life group? And they said, this is a women's only. But if you'll talk to Barry Eggleston, he'll get you in a men's group. No. No. They, no. they said, you can, join, you can join our group. So he comes and he sits down and he starts talking. And he proclaims the gospel. And anyway, Lydia says, okay, I'm in. She gets baptized. She says, we can start the church at my house. So they start the church at the house. Well, the local folks do not like the Apostle Paul coming to start a church. Because they, they have all these gods and idols and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's a different vibe. And he's going, no, this is all nonsense. There's only one true God, and we're going to worship him, and this is what it is, right? They get very upset with him. They get very upset with him. So this is, how, this is what happens when the Apostle Paul, in, ver- in chapter 16 of Acts, uh, trying to, to start the church. The people get angry. It says, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. And they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for us as Romans to accept and practice. In other words, we're called to worship all these gods and worship the emperor, and they're not doing that, and they're messing everything up. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell... And fasten their feet in stocks. Pause. This is how they planted the church. In the worst possible situation. Like the whole town is not just upset at them. Flogging them. Beating them. Get out of here. We don't want you here. We don't even want you. Put them in jail. Lock their legs up in a foreign land. Just terrifying way to start start a church. Bad start to the church. Right? Verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In other words, their contentment was not based on their situation. Thank you, Lord. They're all like all buckled up here. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. You know, they're just singing, praising God, worshiping, praying. They're content in any and every situation. Suddenly, verse 26, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Why? He had no contentment. External situations changed his level of contentment immediately. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're good. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer is like the first elder of the church in Philippians, right? Because why? Because Apostle Paul and Silas were content in Christ, even in the worst possible situation. Your contentment can be a catalyst for the gospel. Did you know that? When, when other people see you in bad situations and you remain content in Christ, they go, man, I don't know what you have, but I want what you have. Because we're in the same situation, but I'm freaking out and you're not. What do you have that I don't have? The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he actually described more of his circumstances. I'm just going to read it to you quickly, okay? Here's what he says. I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the... The, I, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Apostle Paul saying, I've been up, I've been down, I've been leveled to the ground, but long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. Trouble on my left, trouble on my right. I've been facing trouble almost all my life. The Apostle Paul is saying, I can be content in any and every situation. Can I just encourage somebody today? There is a contentment available to you in Christ that is outside of and beyond your circumstance and situation. God wants to bring you peace in the midst of the storm. Doesn't want to just remove the storm all the time. Sometimes he's going to bring you peace right in the heart of it. Right in the midst of it. In fact, when the Apostle Paul's writing this letter, <laughs> he's writing from prison. His situation in the moment that he's describing the letter is bad. He's saying, but there's an internal state that is different from my external condition. I want to teach it to you. Now, at this point, if you're me and I'm you, I want to know the secret. What's the secret, Paul? How do you get, how do you accomplish this? What is the secret? Verse 12, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. Here's the secret. I've learned the secret of being content. This isn't going to sound like a secret to you guys, but when I read it to you, this is the secret, okay? Here's the secret. Verse 13, I can do all this through Christ. Through Christ. Who gives me strength? It's an open secret. It's the simplest secret ever. The strength of Christ is the secret of contentment. The strength of Christ is the secret of contentment. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying is like, do you know that Christ is in me? Christ is with me. Christ is for me. Therefore, in any situation that I find myself in, I'm good. Why? Christ is in me, Christ is with me, Christ is for me. So when I'm struggling in my relationship, Christ is in me, Christ is with me, Christ is for me. When I'm struggling with my finances, Christ is in me, Christ is with me, Christ is for me. It is the strength of Christ in me that causes me to be content in any and every situation. Now let me illustrate this for you because it's one of those secrets that like so glaringly obvious, but it takes a minute for you to really fully absorb it and recognize it. When I was a little kid, we used to play a game called Who Would Win? And you would pick a superhero. 
and I would pick a superhero, my friend would pick a superhero, and then we would compare their strengths to say who would win. Has anybody ever done that? So, so there's a secret to winning that game every time. At least there was in the 80s. Pick Superman. That was the secret. Pick Superman. Because it doesn't matter who the other person picked. They couldn't beat Superman. They just couldn't. You had Aquaman. You had, you had Thor. You had Green Lantern. I mean, you had, you, you know, these guys weren't even on the same level. They just weren't there, right? I know what some of you comic people are saying. What about Doomsday? Doomsday can beat Superman, right? Doomsday wasn't invented in the 80s, okay? So the game, he just wasn't around. So back off, okay? So the truth was, no matter what the problem was, if you were choosing Superman, then, that, then you won. The Apostle Paul is saying, in any and every situation, I'm choosing Christ. Because there's literally no situation in which I'm going to face something that's going to defeat Christ in me. Death itself is defeated under the feet of Christ. So whatever the pain, heartache, suffering, whatever the, whatever the hardship is, it cannot compare with the strength of Christ who is with me, in me, and for me. Now, let me give you, a, just take you a tiny bit deeper. Can we go a little deeper this morning? I'm going to give you the word that the Apostle Paul uses to explain this strength that is in him. Here's the Greek word. Ready? The Greek word is endunamo. Endunamo. I wish you could pronounce it in dynamo because that's how it looks. And for today and going forward, we're going to give ourselves permission to pronounce it the way we want to, okay? We're going to call it in dynamo. This is the Greek word that the Apostle Paul wrote in this portion of the letter when he said, the strength of Christ that is in me. In dynamo is two words, N, E-N, which means in, which means inside. Dynamo, or dunamo, means power, ability to make able, to impart strength, or to empower. It's where we get the word dynamite, okay? The Apostle Paul is saying, the power of Christ has been placed inside of me. And by that power, I can face any circumstance. I can face any problem. I can face any situation. I can face any hardship. I can face any need. I can face any problem because of the power of Christ, which is within me. Now, when I first read this, here's what I thought about this. Here's here's how I thought this played out. I thought that the Apostle Paul was saying something along the lines of, Here, we'll erase these arrows. I thought he was saying something along the lines of Christ is in the gap. Okay? That's how how I conceived of it when I was first reading this and studying this. In other words, here's what I want and need. Here's what I have. But Christ is in between what I have and and what I need. And so he's filling the gap. He's He's kind of keeping things okay. And this is actually true. Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. That's actually true. But the Apostle Paul says one more thing towards the end of the letter, which made me revisit this. Are you ready? Verse 19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus. According to means commensurate with. He's going to take care of your needs according to his riches. It's in, it's the, the, the riches of God are innumerable. It's beyond what we could even ask or possibly conceive of or imagine. So what's actually happening in this passage 
is that Jesus is reversing the paradigm. What, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that in Christ, we have more than we could ever conceive of wanting, wanting or needing. In Christ, what we have is so much beyond what we need. It's so much beyond what we desire. What we have is immeasurable. What we have, this is a paradigm shift because we were thinking materially, we were thinking carnally, and the Apostle Paul goes, no, no, I'm taking you to a different plane. I'm taking you to the spiritual plane where you start to recognize that in Christ, you have everything that you could possibly want and more. In Christ, we have a peace that passes understanding. We have redemption through the blood of Christ. We have the forgiveness of our sins, the righteousness of God, the power of his Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life. In Christ, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. We have a great high priest seated at the right hand of the throne. We have an anchor. We have a rock to cast our faith upon. We have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. In Christ... We have so much more than we could ever want or imagine. The problem is the things that we are wanting are too small. The things we think we need are too small. And God is saying, I've got so much more for you. When Jesus teached, taught on this, he said, don't worry about your life, what you eat, what you wear. What you... He said, seek first the kingdom of God. All of this other stuff will be added unto you. But I want you to put your eyes, I want you to reorient your desires on the thing that is truly desirable. Because what you're wanting now, some of the stuff you want, is not ever going to fulfill that longing inside of your heart. So why don't you want what you really need because I've already given you that. It's in you by Christ. We have to reshift, reorient our desire if we want to experience contentment. And stop longing after the things of this world and start longing after the things of God. Because when we do that and we learn the secret that Christ is already in us, for us, and with us, we are content in any and every situation. I'm going to read, I'm going to close with a, with a quote from C.S. Lewis. I love this quote. I just, I just love it. He, he wrote this in, in a book called The Weight of Glory. Here's what it says. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward... If we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's not that the thing we want is too great for God. It's the thing we want is too small for God. And he's giving us so much more than what we could ever want or need. And he's saying, be content because I've given you... We want a bologna sandwich. He's created a banquet feast, y'all. He's saying, I've got... I've got abundant life. If you'll follow me, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, I'll give you everything that you need. When Jesus was in Samaria, he paused, left a revival meeting, went up to Samaria, met a woman sitting at a well, 
A woman who wanted so much. A woman whose desires were never being met by what she had. She'd been married so many times. She just, she just kept longing for She was trying to fill her life with stuff that she thought would fill her life. And she just kept seeking and trying to fill her life. And she was never content and never happy. And Jesus says to her, would you give me a drink of the water from this well? And she says, well, Samaritans and Jews don't interact like this. Why would you ask for a drink of water from me? And he says, well, <laughs> if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the promises of God, you would be asking me for a drink. Because the drink that I would give you, if you drank it, you would never thirst again. In fact, you would be so full to overflowing that out of your belly would flow rivers of living water. You would be a source of refreshment for other people because you are so filled with the love and the power and the strength of God in Christ Jesus. Can I just challenge you today? I, I mean, I want, a, I want a shift in your thinking. I want to challenge you to shift your thinking out of the mundane of like, let me just get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You're grasping at the wind, y'all. Find your satisfaction your comfort, and your contentment in Christ Jesus. Because when you've got Christ, you've got everything, everything that you need. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit which you have poured out upon us in abundance. Thank you for your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that it would drop deep into our, the soil of our heart. Those of us struggling with dissatisfaction and discontentment, finding ourselves angry and upset because we're just not getting what we want, let us turn our eyes to you, the author and finisher of our faith, the one from whom we drink the water that will never run dry. Let us be filled and overflowing, Lord, by your spirit, by your power, by your presence. Let us find our contentment in you, Lord God, and let us be a place where we are so full and overflowing that those who are hungry and thirsty and starving and in need will flock into these spaces, Lord God, because they found a people who are feasting on you. We thank you. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.